Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, or UAMPS, is a consortium of public power agencies. Logan is a member. UAMPS reportedly is considering building a small modular nuclear reactor at the Idaho National Laboratory near Idaho Falls. It would likely be one of the first small modular reactors in the country. Proponents say SMRs, or small modular reactors, are small, scalable, flexible, and dramatically safer and less expensive than the traditional gigantic reactors. They also say that small modular reactors could replace coal-fired electrical generation and would complement wind and solar because they can ramp up and down quickly, providing carbon-free electricity when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. Others are concerned about safety, waste, and nuclear proliferation. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Michael Shea, Senior Policy Associate with Heal Utah. Right now, we'll talk with Ed McGinnis, Principal Deputy and Secretary uh, for, the, uh, for Nuclear Energy at the U.S. Department of Energy. So first of all, tell me what small modular reactor is. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, small modular reactors, and in fact, um, there are uh, many different types of small modular reactors under development throughout the world. But I'd like to focus on those advanced small modular reactors that are being developed by U.S. companies and U.S. reactor designers, which frankly are leading the world in the design and the potential for um, the significant, significant step change improvement, frankly game-changing improvement in the reactor attributes whether it is in the safety aspects, whether it is um, for uh, security, um, efficiency, and um, as important in it as anything else, financeability and the flexibility and the power that is generated. So we're very much focused on it. Um, Secretary Perry, myself, and others um, definitely view advanced SMRs in this country as potential game changers and as uh, really positioned well to be that next wave of the next generation of reactors to come into this country. How does advanced uh, SMRs differ from, you know, kind of what we would think of the stereotypical nuclear reactor? So the advanced SMRs gives you a, many more choices and very flexible. First of all, it's a smaller amount of generated power. Um, Advanced SMRs generally range between 300 megawatts electric um, all the way down to about 50 megawatts electric. A typical nuclear reactor in this country that is operating is much larger, generating about 1,000 um, megawatts of electricity per plant. We have 99 nuclear power plants in this country operating very safely under, the, frankly, the strongest um, and the uh, world's leading nuclear safety regulator, which is the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. But the advanced SMRs um, offer some step change um, and, as I said, frankly, game-changing factors. Um, number one, the small modular reactors are far more financeable. Um, in, in fact, when you look at a large reactor um, in this country, a uh, gigawatt or larger, 1,000 megawatts. Um, a typical price might be 7 to $8 billion, and that's before financing. And oftentimes, uh, there's a desire to order two. So you're talking 14 to 15 to $16 billion per plant. That is an enormous amount of, of, um, of front capital for any utility in this country to deal with. The advanced SMRs allows you to very thoughtfully take one bite at a time for your generation capacity. Um, and this is carbon-free generation capacity. This is generation of capacity that is 24-7. There is no, new, no other energy source in the world that brings the attributes of nuclear. Um, a typical reactor in this country is generating full power, full power for 18 to 24 months. This is rain, sleet, snow, 24-7, 365 days a year without stop. That is unmatched by any other energy source. The small modular reactors would allow, um, and, and we believe is going to allow, 
um, utilities in this country to avail themselves to state-of-the-art advanced um, nuclear reactor designs that have walk-away safe, many of these designs, including New Scale, they have a design intended to be walk-away safe um, that is not dependent on any um, electronically driven uh, motors or pumps for um, the primary safety system. So if you lost, uh, had a complete loss of um, off-site power, if you had a blackout, um, this design would safely shut down on its own without any, any electric motors or pumps, and it's designed to shut down without any human intervention. It is walk-away safe. We're excited about that. So back to the financeability issue, um, certainly um, the upfront capital is very important. If you're talking about an $8 billion proposition for a large gigawatt, as opposed to, let's say, starting out with a small modular reactor, you might be talking the, about a difference of, let's say, a billion dollars up front, maybe even less for the plant. Um, and for each module, uh, perhaps 350 to $450 million per module. Um, that is eminently more financeable. It allows, in my view, to protect the ratepayer in a much more effective way. It allows um, utilities to install in a shorter construction period of time with far less capital um, put out there. And then with, let's say, for um, the new scale design, it has a very innovative 12-unit system. So 50 megawatts per unit. And each one of those units that, can, that could comprise the entire plant um, can be operated at different levels in a flexible way. And in fact, the utility can just decide, let's build the plant capable of up to 12 units, but let's just build, let's say, 250 megawatts at first, or maybe four. Um, and then you can begin to sell that power in a much shorter period of time and take that revenue, a certain amount, and if you want then, while you're generating revenue from those units being operated, then you can take your time and decide when the market is ready um, to then add additional units to that plant, giving you flexibility, giving you time for the market um, to, um, to reflect the need. Um, and, it, and again, it's, it's, it would be far more flexible. These advanced SMR reactors also, many of them, including New Scale, is built in ground. Um, that brings a many, many um, additional benefits. I want to talk. Uh, greatly uh, reduces the footprint of that <clears throat> reactor, offers um, significant additional security, um, and even seismic issues. I want to talk about uh, safety. I'm, I'm looking at the website, energy.gov, uh, Department of Energy. Uh, you have a section here on safeguard security nonproliferation. Um, I learned about one vulnerability that I hadn't even thought about. You addressed this here, uh, you know, airplane crashing into your into the site. Uh, we've heard about the spectacular failures, right, Fukushima and, and others. Um, talk to me about safety of these uh, and safeguards of the uh, advanced uh, small modular reactors. So thank you very much, Tom. In fact, that is one thing that is a huge benefit, and that is the advanced SMRs such as New Scale being walk-away safe. They have passive safety systems where they would shut down. Um, you would not have a scenario, as you saw with Fukushima, because this reactor would not um, have a core melt. Um, it would, it's designed um, to shut down on its own. Um, and so that issue, that challenge um, that we saw in Fukushima, frankly, through this innovative design, um, that risk is dispatched effectively. Um, and so you also have a number of other significant benefits in this truly step change uh, class of advanced SMRs coming out of the United States nuclear design community. Um, and one is you're relying on far, far fewer um, electronic-driven um, um, you know, aspects of the plant. Um, that means a lot of things. Not only is it in ground, but that means you're in a position where you're able 
to um, have a much more of a, a robustly secured um, plant, uh, whether it is cyber issues or other issues. But the, the, the less dependent on electric systems and the nuclear design of the, of the next class of reactors, um, in fact, is, is a very um, good thing to do and, and offers a great deal of benefit. So we are excited um, about, and not only excited, um, we have invested a significant amount. Thus far, the Department of Energy has invested about $200 million to date in technically partnering um, with NewScale and also um, with the Tennessee Valley Authority and UAMPS. And we're very pleased with the progress being made. In fact, um, the result of much of this investment, which is an industry-led but very thoughtful um, amount um, of um, investment by the Department of Energy, has led to our nation's very first um, advanced SMR design being accepted for design certification review by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That review is ongoing now, and it appears to be progressing very well. We are talking with Ed McGinnis with U.S. Department of Energy. We're talking about advanced uh, small uh, modular reactors. Um, I I want to uh, talk about, uh, and you mentioned on the site here, non-proliferation, the the, the fuel, the the material used. Um, There there is a concern about this getting into the wrong hands. What safeguards are being uh, set up here to to safeguard the, the fuels? Well, I can tell you that the Department of Energy not only leads in the development of um, research and development in supporting advanced uh, small modular reactors, but we are the leader in our uh, nonproliferation efforts for our country and, frankly, the world. Half of my career has been in the nuclear nonproliferation side of the Department of Energy and in the NNSA, so I know well um, the issues associated with safeguards and security of, um, of nuclear um, uh, components, nuclear-related issues. But I can tell you that um, with regards to nonproliferation and security, um, not only do we have designs um, in the advanced reactor class coming in that offer significant um, um, you know, um, attributes for um, effective safety and security and safeguards, but also um, as important is the culture, as important are the regulatory aspects for, um, for nuclear energy to ensure that these nuclear technologies are used um, for um, peaceful purposes. But um, we have the strongest nonproliferation and safety culture in the world. Um, that is without question with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's important uh, mission for safety and security, but the Department of Energy as well. And so um, I feel very, very confident that our approach to uh, peacefully supporting the peaceful access um, to nuclear um, electricity generation and other nuclear energy applications through advanced U.S.-designed reactors um, is is in a a very strong position um, to continue our, our excellent track record in the safety and security arena. And um, that, that is the top priority for us, and it will continue to be. You've outlined uh, many of the advantages. Uh, one of the big ones, it, it could be um, a component of a renewal energy, be energy uh, plan. Uh, nuclear keeps on chugging when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, for example. One of the downsides is, is, is waste, right? What um, wouldn't, if we, if, we, if we really ramped this up, uh, we'd still have a problem with waste. Well, disposition of the um, irradiated fuel, this, uh, the spent nuclear fuel, used nuclear fuel, um, is absolutely a very important issue, a very important matter, which is why this administration has submitted um, $120 million um, to um, Congress in order to resume the licensing process at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission uh, for ultimately um, working towards realizing a um, permanent um, disposal pathway for our nation's nuclear spent fuel. We also submitted a budget that includes um, initiating work on interim, uh, robust interim storage. 
So I agree with you, Tom, that um, it is very important for us um, to move forward, stop kicking the can, as we've said in the past. Secretary Perry and I have certainly reinforced that point, um, and we need um, to have a clear pathway moving out on disposition of our nation's nuclear spent fuel. We have a very strong track record of effectively uh, storing this material, of our safety commitments, um, but I agree with you that we need to see this through as we are uh, continuing to benefit um, from um, the unique aspects that nuclear energy brings us. For example, um, I think many, many folks in this country um, don't fully appreciate that virtually one out of every five homes in this country, when they turn the light switches on, they're getting the power from nuclear energy. And back 60% of all of the clean, all of the carbon-free electricity generated in this country is generated by nuclear um, power generation from our 99 units. To put it another way, that's over three times as much as all of the other renewable sources of electricity generation in our country. Yeah, that's um, and as you've been saying, you uh, the, the Department of Energy is uh, very excited about the the, the advanced uh, SMRs. I wonder um, what the I want to talk. Have you talk about uh, scale and scope? Once this, if it gets up and going uh, as you uh, want it to to do, um, wh- where could this go? What what uh, what piece of the pie of the energy needs could this uh, take up? And uh, what's what's the What's, what's the upper limit that you'd be shooting for? Well, that's one of the key issues that's driven us to support and invest in this because the versatility in the scope is, is immense. Um, we're talking about um, small modular reactors where not only could it be used to just generate electricity carbon-free in a versatile way, but also we're looking at things such as hybrid um, energy systems. We are right now doing research and development, including at Idaho National Lab, on the potential of pairing small modular nuclear reactors with a wind turbine plant, with solar plants. Um, This could afford exciting combined benefits. Also, the advanced reactors that are under development in our country, including Um, The uh, new scale design could be used for many other applications, whether it's water desalinization. We have light. We have non-light water uh, reactors that could be used for um, petrochemical industrial uh, purposes. It could be used for hydrogen production. And, in fact, the um, new scale plant, um, again, could do additional things, such as um, not only desalinization, but some other very important um, uh, production and non-electric work. Small modular reactors afford you another very significant issue, and that is these are smaller plants. These have uh, these are in-ground, um, many of these designs, and in fact, they offer the potential to be placed um, in, in a flexible way in many other locations um, as what we call distributed Um, um, energy-generating sources. Um, These small modular reactors can be part of a large grid or it could be placed in in locations such as in Alaska um, where it's off-grid. The potential once this new class of advanced small modular reactors has is game-changing. That's one of the reasons why we say it's game-changing because with the proving out of these new U.S.-designed SMRs, um, it literally could open up an entirely new class of a customer base um, that otherwise just wouldn't have the capital ability to finance a $14 billion two-unit plant, um, wouldn't have um, the uh, need to place two gigawatts all at once, and many other reasons where they may be looking at the benefits of advanced SMRs. So I can tell you this is a global market, not just a U.S. market, and I've led for the past 11 years um, our nuclear energy cooperation internationally for the Department of Energy, and there are a number, quite a few um, market uh, countries watching this 
particular project and watching it very carefully from a potential customer's um, perspective as well. So the promise of our new class of advanced SMRs um, goes even beyond just the U.S. market, but certainly a global market with U.S. nuclear leadership. Just a couple of quick questions before I let you go. Um, I wonder what uh, what other inputs are needed. Does it require a lot of water? Um, other inputs needed for a for an SMR? In fact, SMRs have what we call um, air cooled features. So SMRs, um, the U.S. design SMRs, including the New Scale plant, um, in fact, consume significantly less water. In fact, some of the designs. Um, little, uh, a small amount of water, relatively speaking, to the large plants. So the water consumption savings is significant. Um, that's number one. Um, what are the, some of the other inputs? Um, I would say this, that the advanced SMRs has a tremendous benefit to the U.S. supply chain. The large reactors that we have um, built um, in this country um, oftentimes and mostly require very large components such as ingots that must be uh, forged and pressed in very large steel factories. And in fact, these um, we've had to go overseas to get these components um, forged and pressed, for example, in Dusan, South Korea, or in Japan. With these small modular reactors, we can source all of the um, steel components and all of the components virtually um, in the United States from the U.S. supply chain, not only benefiting American jobs, benefiting the economy, but frankly, it is a, a very compelling business model, and it offers great uh, cost savings when you can source all your components in the United States and nearby, such as with Idaho, um, you have um, very strong uh, supply chain opportunities in the region where you would have a real win-win. I just wanted to ask one more safety question. I know uh, on the minds of people here in the interior West, uh, the, I think the biggest top of mind uh, worry when it comes to something like this or just in general would be uh, earthquake, severe earthquake. So uh, what if you just uh, readdress, uh, expand a little bit on uh, seismic safety with regard to advanced SMRs? Well, again, we're blessed with having um, the foremost um, nuclear regulatory authority in the world, and no one, I think, you wouldn't find anybody that disputes that. And that includes safety with regards to uh, seismicity. And so we are very fortunate to have um, the safest fleet in the world now. Um, with the advanced SMRs, they only serve to further further um, strengthen that um, safety um aspect of our designs. And when you have an advanced SMR that is built in the ground, um, the way the new scale design um, has been done, um, it, it certainly can offer um, additional, um, you know, um, capabilities as far as seismic tolerances. And that design is going through the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission now as a, as I said, the first advanced um, SMR design um, that our country has seen, and it is progressing well, and that is um, very much focused on the NRC looking at um, all aspects of the safety of this design, and it is uh, it appears to be proceeding very well, and I am certainly looking forward um, to um, seeing the further progress of this design certification. So we do um, very much look forward um, to the progress being made, and with this design and the other um, advanced U.S. small modular reactor designs, and our investment um, in technically partnering with these uh, vendors in the industry should be a, a clear reflection of that. Finally, uh, is there a, a timeline, a hope timeline, and what are there uh, further clearances, approvals that are needed? So um, certainly the timeline is driven not by us. It will be driven by the NRC and the applicant. But it is my understanding um, that the, um, the, the target, at least for um, final operation or the beginning, initial operation of a UAMPS uh, uh, 
nuclear power plant at um, Idaho would be about 2026. And the design uh, certification review at the NRC appears to be proceeding well. And it's my understanding that the, um, 2020 is the target, um, the, the anticipated target uh, for completion of that design certification, which will be enormously important and represent a huge, huge step uh, for our country, for our next um, uh, generation of advanced small modular reactors. Well, we've been talking with Ed McGinnis with the U.S. Department of Energy about advanced small modular reactors, and uh, possibly by about 2026, uh, one of them might be uh, built uh, near Idaho Falls, up in Idaho, and serving uh, UAMPs, Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, which includes the city of Logan as a member of that. Uh, Ed McGinnis, thank you so much. It is my pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Have a good day. You are listening to Access U Tom Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, small modular reactors. Proponents say that SMRs are uh, dramatically safer and less expensive than the traditional gigantic reactors. They say that SMRs could replace coal-fired electrical generation, would complement wind and solar because they can provide carbon-free electricity when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. We're uh, going to hear a, another perspective on SMRs from... Michael Shea, Senior Policy Associate with Heal Utah. That is coming following a break. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, today we're talking about small modular reactors, talking about nuclear power. Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, or UAMPs, of which the City of Logan is a member, is reportedly considering building a small modular reactor in Idaho. Would likely be one of the first small modular reactors in the country. Proponents of SMRs say they're small, scalable, flexible, dramatically safer and less expensive than the traditional reactors. They also say SMRs could replace coal-fired electrical generation. They would complement wind and solar because they can ramp up and down quickly, providing carbon-free electricity when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. We're going to get a perspective now with Michael Shea, Senior Policy Associate with Heal Utah. Michael Shea, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Ed. Thanks for being having me on. Thanks for uh, being with us. Yes, previously we talked with Ed McGinnis with the uh, Department of Energy. Uh, so uh, what do you think about uh, small modular reactors? Uh, Ed McGinnis is touting these as... Uh, Solving a lot of the safety concerns, he said uh, it's less expensive and could be added on uh, later. Uh, Department of Energy is very excited about this. They're wanting uh, to to really ramp this up. Yes, well, you know, I think uh, from Hill Utah's perspective, and for a little context, Hill Hill Utah got its start in the '90s. Um, uh, opposing the importation of uh, high-level nuclear waste into the state of Utah, and so. You know, anytime there's uh, sort of a new type of nuclear technology on the on the horizon, we do we do tend to have concerns. Well, you know, we're not specifically opposed to to the small modular reactor project. I think there are a number of questions that have yet to be answered um, that we are kind of waiting for for UAMPs to to answer for us. Um, I think obviously the biggest one is is you know the waste stream is still there. Um, it, you know it may be reduced, it may be smaller, but you know I think we need do need to remind ourselves that this technology relies on you know one of the most poisonous uh, substances on the planet. And if you know until that waste stream problem has been specifically solved um, or at least reduced to a level that we're comfortable with, I think we do have concerns with the use of this technology. But primarily, you know, one of the, the big questions is, is pricing itself. Um, and, you know, if you look at a history of nuclear power, almost to a T, all projects have come in vastly over budget and more expensive than their initial offering price. Um, and so currently we are kind of waiting in the wings and, and studying what UAMS is doing um, but also to have some serious concerns um, with the technology itself. I want to start with waste. Um, there are some, uh, what, 90-some-odd reactors in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so producing waste, uh, the, the, the current policy is on-site storage? Yes, yeah. Uh, facilities are required to, you know, meet 
you know, very high standards of, of safety, um, but uh, and then keep the keep the facility or the the waste on site. There have been several proposals in the past to try to centralize all the all the waste in the country at Yucca Mountain, but currently that project has been stalled. And so the like you said, the current policy of the United States is on site uh, storage. Well, Yucca Mountain was a very classic example of a not in my backyard, right? The Nevadans <laughs> rallied well, around that. But so if but but uh, you do have it in your backyard if you're near one of these uh, nuclear reactors. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean that's that's the unfortunate reality of, of nuclear power is, is is you know if if you're producing this tech uh, you know producing this waste to make that power, then a lot of you know, people in this country feel that it is, you know, the community's responsibility um, to deal with that waste rather than, although, you know, from a planning perspective, centralized storage makes the most sense. I think, as you said, a lot of people just, you know, they don't want it in their backyard. You know, my state doesn't have nuclear power. Why are we taking it? Um, So it's a very contentious issue. Oh, and uh, remind us, this waste lasts for a very long time. Oh, thousands and thousands of years. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> you know, certainly well past, uh, the vast majority of, of planning and resource management that, uh, most, uh, hazardous substances have to deal with. I mean, we, we are talking, you know, tens of thousands of years for, uh, a lot of the stuff to, for the radioactives to decay to the point where it's it's not no longer harmful to humans. And so the planning processes this are incredibly uh, lengthy and you know to, to the extent that how do you how can you possibly plan for 10,000 years in the future? Mm. Uh, is uh, is there any way to uh, what what's the best way to deal with uh, spent nuclear fuel? <laughs> you know, I mean, the truth is there is no perfect, uh, perfect scenario. Um, you know, currently, uh, you know, on-site storage, um, you know, is seems to be the 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 best process in in terms of um, you know what uh, everybody seems to be happy with currently. Um, but you know, I mean, you can find you can try to find the you know the perfect hole in the ground to to bury it in. But you never know. I mean, that's that's the problem with this technology in the first place. Is you know, the the planning the the planning processes are so far out in the horizon that it's almost impossible to kind of make a, a perfect safe storage um, scenario. Um, and that's you know one of the big concerns uh, with with nuclear technology and nuclear waste. I wonder if we could make a differentiation. Uh, um, talk a little bit about the Tuella. Uh, that's that's low level stuff, right? Yes, yeah, that's low level. So uh, you know, energy solutions, formerly Envirocare, tried um, about a couple decades ago to try to uh, import high level nuclear waste, which is you know uh, you know much much more toxic than the current stuff that they have out in Tooele. Um But uh, it's, you know, it's thousands and thousands of tons of of this stuff that's, you know, currently sitting out in the the West Utah desert. And, um, you know, we we do believe that the the current storage facilities are are safe. Um, But, you know, do we want to continue having to worry about bringing in more and and dealing with the consequences of that? By the way, where's the low-level... low-level uh, stuff come from? Um, it's uh, mostly uranium tailings. Um, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, low-level waste from, from different plants. Uh, it comes from, you know, around the nation at, at different, uh, from different facilities. So, none, I mean, none of it's from Utah. Okay. And so the, the but nuclear power plants produce higher-level waste, is my understanding. Yes, I mean there's the, the, there's well there's a wide variety of of waste that comes out of the plants. You know the most of it is high level, but then you know you have storage containers that were you know two steps away from being exposed specifically to the to the uranium, um, and so there still are radioactive components that just aren't you know quite as as high level as as the specific material that they use to make energy. Mm-hmm. 
I want to have you react to the promise of uh, nuclear reactors, uh, uh, nuclear power, as, as promoted by including some in the green community, um, saying that, uh, you know, we definitely ought to ramp up uh, wind and solar or everything else we can renewable. But some say that uh, we, we can't get all the energy we need from that. We have to, we have to add in something like nuclear with that big asterisk of the, of the waste, you know. But uh, right, right. Um, do, does does nuclear have a place there in any way, shape, or form? Well, you know, if you had asked me that question even five years ago, I would I would say that there has to be some serious consideration to ha- how how to provide baseload power, which is you know power that that you know is not uh, that doesn't matter when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing. Um, you know, you can always turn it on. Um, that's the big that's the big question mark with renewables. Um, but if you had asked me five years ago, I'd, I'd probably say that, yeah, we'd, we'd have to consider uh, nuclear or natural gas um, as some type of fallback. But with the rapid and incredible rapid development um, in, in battery storage technology and other different technologies that allow the grid to adapt and move around and store energy at a much quicker pace. I, I, I think the, the case can be made that you can achieve 80, 90, 100% renewable power without having the need for a natural gas plant or uh, coal power. Hmm. Um, and, and it's just a demonstration of, of how far the technology has come, especially battery storage, where prices are declining at an incredible rate. Um, that, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think that we need to have to, uh, invest a ton of money in a unproven nuclear technology when we have a solution, um, at our fingertips. It, it seems to, and this is my characterization, it seems like renewables, promise of renewables is always just over the horizon. Um, and that's in my, again, that's my characterization, uh, possibly totally uninformed. But uh, um, I wonder when it comes back from the horizon and, and becomes a reality, what, when do you think? Uh, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 5 years? Um, for, for renewable energy? Yeah, to, 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 uh, to reach those, those levels of where, um, where renewables could uh, take up. Um, you know, uh, much more of of the of our engine needs. Oh, I mean, that that day is now. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the pricing that are coming out of utility scale wind and solar projects, it's not only beating coal, but it's also beating natural gas in price competitiveness. I mean, the the pricing is absolutely stunning. It is so low, um, and and it's just a it's a testament to how you know, good this technology and how far it's come in its ability to compete on the energy market. Um, even as even with the sub, the the tax credits going away for renewables, um, you know, you talk to the industry guys and they are very very confident that they can you know not only uh, bid on projects but win with projects as well. Hmm. Uh, going back to small modular reactors, um, I wonder if you have concerns about safety. Are, are there similar concerns with the larger reactors? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I do want to give UAMPS a little credit in that they, uh, they, it, they have seemed to have gone you know, above and beyond in terms of making these reactors as, as safe as possible, especially with the, uh, the meltdown prevention mechanisms that they have installed. Um, but again, uh, you know, every nuclear power plant ever built was considered incredibly safe until it wasn't. Um, and, and so, again, with, with this technology, uh, just because the, the substances that dealing with themselves are just so inherently bad for uh, humans, um, you know, you just can't think up all scenarios. And, and, you know, from our perspective, you know, why spend time and money investing in these this technology that ha- still has a lot of unknowns when you could be investing in a you know much safer much less controversial uh, you know renewable energy project it's interesting to me that uh, uh, two nations in they'll pick out in in Europe uh, went different paths after Fukushima Germany decided to to, to ramp down their nuclear uh, 
power program. France, I think, is still still all in, if I'm if I'm correct. Um, oh uh, yes, yeah. I wonder which way you you think the U.S. Should, could go, and could the U.S. decommission uh, its ninety some odd uh, nuclear power plants and still produce energy that it needs? Yeah, you know, in the end, um, this is going to come. This is all going to come down to you know the market and and the pricing. Um, you know, like I said, most the vast majority of nuclear power plants in the United States are are over budget and and cost far more than their projected pricing. Um, and I think you know, in the end, that's what's going to determine whether SMRs are successful or not. Um, if they if UAMPs um, can get their pricing levels to a competitive uh, uh, point price point, then they might stand a chance. But I I honestly don't think they're going to get there. Um, you know, truth be told, UAMPs is, is a small municipal regional utility, and you know none of the big players, uh, whether it be Pacific Core or Excel or um, uh, Pacific Gas Electric, none of those companies are, are seriously looking at this technology. And so I think you know one has to ask yourself if you know the big players in the industry are not you know seriously looking at investing in this technology. You know, why is a, a small regional utility um, going all in? Mr. McGinnis, with the, who talked to earlier in the hour uh, with the uh, U.S. Department of Energy, says if they get the clearances, uh, could have an SMR up in Idaho by 2016. Of course, that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of ways to go there. I wonder, just uh, changing subjects uh, very slightly, um, I think Heal Utah has its eye on the Blue Castle project in, in Utah. I wonder where that is. Um, well, uh, knock on wood, this, uh, currently the project is, is uh, as, as close to dead as can be. Um, you know, I don't think, again, uh, I don't think the Blue Castle group could put together the necessary funding um, for the project to get started. Um, they had to begin actually paying out some serious money for all the water rights they would need for that plant. Um, they were unable to do so. Um, and so, as last I heard, they're they're trying to raise money on the Bitcoin market, um, and and so as as far as Hilo is concerned, the project is is currently dead. We're of course going to keep keep an eye on it, but again, I mean, it just gets to the the absurd, uh, expensive nature that this technology is, um, and and you know if you know, and that's why we feel that the the Green River nuclear plant will never never actually see the light of day. For those who have forgotten, Blue Castle Project was proposed to, to be built near Green River, Utah. It's, it, it would be uh, one of the larger, the kind of the more, the, the, the bigger uh, nuclear power yes, plants. Yes, it would be It would be a massive, massive facility. Yeah. Uh, would have generated uh, 1,500 megawatts. Um, it, I think the smaller ones generate around uh, 300 uh, megawatts. Or it, it could be, uh, one of the reasons they're touted is it could be built up, could be, it's modular. Um, I wonder, any other concerns about uh, nuclear power in general or small modular reactors in specific? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, in the end, it, it really does just get back to the waste stream, uh, whether it be from, from mining to transportation to um, installation and then to storage. You know, these, these questions are still very much out there um, in, in terms of how do you mitigate risk with uh, with all those different steps, and while you know, I think SMRs are certainly a step up compared to their traditional uh, big brother massive power plants. Uh, I think a lot of those questions are still there, um, and uh, it, until I think we get some good answers, I, I, you know, I, I, it's it's going to be continue raising concerns. Uh, let's take a, a, a brief break. When we come back, I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind uh, talking uh, air quality issues with me. I think that's uh, something you track yeah, as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so we'll talk more with Michael Shea, Senior Policy Associate with Heal Utah. We'll make a transition to, uh, to air quality following this break. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we've been uh, talking about uh, advanced technology and nuclear power, small modular reactors, 
And uh, there's a consortium, Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, of which Logan, city of Logan, is a member. UAMPS is reportedly considering building a small modular nuclear reactor at the Idaho National Laboratory near Idaho Falls. And so we've been discussing this with Ed McGinnis with the Department of Energy and Michael Shea with Heal Utah. Now we'll make a transition, uh, our last five or six minutes, to talking about air quality. Michael Shea keeps his eye on this issue as well with Heal Utah. Uh, I wonder, Michael Shea, are there, are there any bills at the, the current legislative session that you're keeping on under this heading? Yes, yeah. Um, there's there's definitely a few. Uh, I think the one of the big ones that we're pushing is uh, House Bill 101, um, which is a diesel emissions testing amendments. And so this would actually require emissions testing for diesel vehicles uh, in the non-attainment counties. Those are the, the counties that are out of EPA compliance for air quality. Um, basically, it would require uh, all counties to do testing for diesel vehicles. The reason why this is so impactful is that um, diesel vehicles that are uh, broken or in, intentionally modified, which is even worse, produce a, a outsized proportion of emissions as compared to kind of gasoline vehicles. And so we project with the implementation of this that we'll be able to take out about 170 tons of uh, EN 2.5, which is that nasty, nasty particle that's uh, big enough to do damage, but small enough to get deep into your lungs. It's kind of the, the every. It's kind of what everybody's focused on to to help reduce the emissions. Um, and then uh, we have a couple other bills that would increase fines for uh, these. You know, I'm, I don't know. They're called coal rollers. Um, so I don't know if any of your listeners have ever been riding their bike or driving down the street in a, a big truck with giant smoke sacks pulls up next to you and belches a bunch into the air. Um, that's actually illegal. Um, they have to intentionally modify, kind of remove the pollution controls on a vehicle in order for them to be able to do that. Um, so we're, we're running a bill to up the fines uh, for that. Um, a couple other things we're looking at are we're trying to reinstate the electric vehicle tax credit um, that was unfortunately removed uh, last year's session. Um, we are working on a bill that would uh, kind of mandate automakers to provide a certain number of uh, electric vehicles to the state um, onto dealership lots, uh, hopefully encouraging people to uh, uh, buy more electric vehicles. Uh, we are working to increase the budget of the Department of Air Quality. And um, then uh, we are, there's a bill that, you know, one of the funny things about air quality is, you know, there's no silver bullet. Um, it's, it's a whole bunch of sort of small uh, emission sources that lead to this big problem that we have. Um, but one of the one of those one of the biggest uh, of those small sources are actually these things called freight switchers. Um, and they are these tiny locomotives that sit on freight yards and, you know, essentially move the, the freight cars back and forth and switch lines. Um, they were they were built in the 50s. And their diesel engines uh, kind of reflect that. And they actually there's only a few of them, but they they contribute a, a incredible amount um, to our air quality problem. And so we are currently working um, on a bill that would help uh, incentivize the, the railroads to upgrade that technology to make them much cleaner. I was just going to ask you, you referenced this, have you follow up with the last couple of minutes here, um, is there one thing, is there, is there a magic bullet, one big thing? I think that's what we'd like to do. If, if we could just change this, we would dramatically improve our air quality. I think you said that there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of different emission sources. We have to tackle them all. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's, I mean, that's the, the hard part about trying to do policy on, on air quality is there really is no one single source. Um, you know, the biggest, the, the biggest percentage of emissions are what are called mobile emissions. So these are cars and trucks, you know, the vehicles we drive every day. Um, and then the next source uh, are buildings and houses. Um, and then kind of far down the line is industry. Uh, and and so, you know, the big, the big push right now is to, you know, help Utahns convert their homes and vehicles into much cleaner, uh, cleaner technology, um, whether that be electric vehicles or more efficient furnaces in your homes. Um, but also we're, we're, we're making a big push for 
you know, individuals to kind of recognize their own contributions and encouraging people to carpool more, um, to ride their bikes more. Um, and, and, you know, there's a number of kind of small solutions that you can do every day that uh, added up can make a huge difference in the air quality problem. Well, we've been talking uh, with Michael Shea, Senior Policy Associate with Heal Utah. We talked for most of the hour about nuclear power a bit at the end here about air quality. And uh, Michael Shea, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. And our thanks to Ed McGinnis, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for Nuclear Energy at the U.S. Department of Energy, who joined us earlier. Uh, you can respond to these ideas on nuclear power and air quality by emailing us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We'd uh, love to hear from you. And we thank you very much for listening today to Access Utah. And composer Julius Eastman died homeless in 1990 at the age of 49. He wrote organic, minimal political music inspired by his identity as a gay black man in a community of mostly white classical composers. Since his death, many of his works have been lost, but there's a new effort to resurrect and reconstruct them. That's next time on Here and Now. Join us this morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Next time on Living on Earth, the health benefits for kids since the U.S. took the lead out of gasoline. That has resulted in a more than 90% drop in children's blood levels in the United States. It's the reason our kids are smarter than we are, because they're no longer exposed to lead from gasoline. But thousands of other chemicals are still a threat. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Join us Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Heard on KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard online at upr.org.